Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Scran. On this week's episode, we're talking all things gin. We've got Hamish Martin from the Old Curiosity Distillery at the Secret Herb Garden in Edinburgh. And we're going to speak on the phone to Sean, who wrote Gin Galore last year, which is a comprehensive guide on all things Scottish gin. So we've got Sean Murphy on the phone from the Glasgow office. Hi, Sean. Hi there, how are you doing? So this week, we've been chatting a bit about gin, and you've written a book on Scottish gin called Gin Galore. And I know in that that you wrote about the Secret Herb Garden Gardens Distillery. Don't imagine it will have escaped anyone's attention that the Scottish gin industry has gone crazy over the last couple of years. So could you just tell us why you think that is? I started originally writing about gin and Hamish's, the original the Secret Herb Garden before they had the distillery and I always found that the story was really interesting and it was quite, it wasn't a surprise to me that to find out that gin was becoming a lot bigger and with a lot more people interested in it. I think the biggest thing for me is it's so accessible not just in terms of people who can make it obviously like Hamish but also in terms of people drinking it because there's no what I call gatekeepers so you know I have a background in whiskey and although it's not as bad anymore you know it used to be perceived that you have to put a bad knowledge about whiskey to drink it you know similar to wine but that doesn't really apply to gin gin's very very easy going you know you can just pick it up and enjoy it you don't really need to know too much about it and it's much more open to women it's much more open to younger people and I think that's a, a big part in its popularity particularly in Scotland where we have a heritage of distilling anyway and an interest in, in spirit so I think that's probably a, played a major part in why it's become so popular in Scotland And there is a sort of change in legislation if you wanted to go down that Yeah, so the still size has changed I think it was during the mid-90s there was somebody applied asking if they could change the size of the still and that led to a change in legislation to allow smaller still sizes to produce spirit legally and because I haven't it created a boom in you know producers beginning all the way back I think in the 80s when gin became quite glamorous again through Bombay Sapphire with their really nice unique blue bottle that's then carried through to obviously Hendrix Grant in the decision in the, the I think it was about year 2000 shit turn them them anyway they decided that they were going to step into the gin market for the on trade in America and get forward you know 8 or 9 years to about 2009-2010 and I think a few other people like Edward Gin began to catch on to how popular this category was going to become and then from me starting writing about it probably about 2015 just been absolutely incredible. I mean, when I went to write my book, the very first chat I had about it, I think at the time there was probably only about 30 producers in Scotland who were producing Scottish gin. And by the time I finished my book, maybe eight months later, there was another 25. So it just shows you how quickly the the categories move. Yeah, it does feel like there is a lot out there and it's kind of hard to see what's going to happen next but in your opinion how do you think it'll move on because we've had a lot of gins a lot of craft gins a lot of flavour gins is do you see there being like another sort of evolution of it or do you think we're going to go back to just straight up gin 
No, I mean, I get this question asked a lot, which is obviously people asking when the gym build was going to bust. But for me, I think there will be a plateau in terms of the number of producers that will start to level out and, and the rate of new ones will slow down. But I think the interest is going to be there for a while. I think what happens is you have a small group, you know, that push the drive the category forward, like you mentioned, with experimentation of doing, you know, labor gym, gym liqueurs now moving forward as well and do full ABV to, to 40%. And I think that what will happen is that with more people becoming interested, you might see some interest and new botanicals and flavours coming through which is already beginning to happen and, and maybe twists on the traditional gin such as illicit spirits have just done a, a new smoke gin you know Dalmy's gin have been, done something very similar they've done a smoke gin as well so I think there'll be a, a little bit of play on the, the traditional techniques used to create just different variations oh, I was just going to say that I think Hamish's gins are, are great and I think what Hamish is doing is absolutely brilliant and not just from the angle of doing innovation and doing things a little bit different but also tying in all the wonderful work they're doing at the Herb Garden with gin you know and, and, and bringing people into the idea of what botanicals actually are I mean you won't ask most people what a botanical is I'm, I'm sure it's one of these phrases that you probably get a, a few different answers but if you go to actually go to the Herb Garden it's quite nice you can learn about all these things and learn about different ways that, that these things play within how these gins are made and I think that the education aspect is going to be really important I think experiences are going to come to the forefront and people are want to spend more time learning about things you know whether that be tastings or distillery tours you, you see that that, that maybe be the next big wave is like tourism destinations I think Hamish is already well placed at the forefront of that so I think that'll be quite interesting as well Sounds good well thank you very much for phoning in again No problem at all and we'll probably speak to you again soon Okay thank you see you soon Bye Bye so we're here just now with Hamish. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hi. Fine. How are you? Good, thank you. So I've just mentioned that you're the owner of the Secret Herb Garden, which also now includes the Old Curiosity Distillery. And for anyone that doesn't know or hasn't visited, can you tell us a bit about the Secret Herb Garden? Of course. Uh, the Secret Herb Garden was started as a herb nursery. So I grow 600 different varieties of herbs. We have a cafe, a shop. The whole idea of the Secret Herb Garden was to actually create a bit of green space. We're not in country. We're not in the town. So you can catch a bus to us. We're just outside where the ski slope is. It's like a little back road from the ski slope to Ikea. We're down there. So the idea is you can come the seven and a half acres. There's a glass house size of a football pitch. You can come, have your tea, coffee, relax, let children run around. There's an old taxi. There's a Wendy house. There's the herbs. But obviously it's developed now to the distillery, which is a whole other ethos. But originally and still to the core, it's all about plants. It's all about botanics and nature and come and buy your herbs. But more than that, come sit and be surrounded by the plants. That sounds pretty idyllic but um, what is your background and how did it lead up to this point? Right. I mean, we're here talking about gin, but actually I used to be in the drinks trade going right back. So I used to have a company called Inverarity, which is now Inverarity Morton's. So father used to be in the whiskey business all his working life. And we originally set up in 1991, showing my age now, the Inverarity. And Inverarity was a, a blended Scotch whiskey, which we put together and I built Inverarity up. I sold it about 12 years ago. To be completely honest, I sold because my real passion was the plants. I loved the vines that made the wine, but I went through a big change my own life and retrained as a herbologist went to the botanics for two years traveled a bit I went and worked with I suppose the only way to say it was a medicine man in North America and a witch doctor in South Africa but once you sit at the feet of somebody truly connected to nature you learn to shut up and listen 
And I had no idea where the journey was going to go. Yeah, I spent my whole life in the booze trade, left it to spend the whole life with herbs specifically. But I had no idea where that journey was going to go. And it's it's a whole other story about how I ended up getting the secret herb garden, how that arrived. But I had to trust that was on the right course. And you never really know sometimes where you're going to go. But for me, it's all about plants. And this has obviously developed into the old Curiosity Distillery. Was that based on your background or was it a bit of a sort of surprise? Again, it was never planned. So, to, you know, the actual secret herb garden and how it came about, I mean, some of your listeners might have heard, might have remembered it going back. It was Damhead Organics. It was the first organic um, farm shop box where you could buy your produce. It had been organic for 25 years. I drove past because we were living, we were renting a, a place in town. I drove to have a look at a cottage. It wasn't right, but there's a little road that drove past and I saw this huge glass house, completely derelict. And I thought, wow. So I got out of the car crossed over the fence, looked, stood at the doorway of this glass house and you couldn't see anything. You couldn't see the other end of the glass house because it was filled with, I'm not going to call them weeds, but that's what most people would call them, rose bay willow herb, thistles, nettles, you name it. Smash glass, but as I stood there, I had a deja vu and there it is with the peaches and the figs and the vines and I'm looking at it and it's, it's entirety finished. I thought, okay, right guys, I hear you. And uh, I left my number with the next door neighbours and nine months later on, we end up getting the keys to this seven and a half acre derelict plot. I remember telling my wife then, that's good news and bad news. Good news is I found somewhere to live, a seven and a half acre site. Bad news is no home. So we lived in a static caravan with four kids, five dogs for three years. And it took us two years to open the secret herb garden. Again, I had no intention to get back into the booze trade. I just wanted to open a herb nursery. And my wife loved, wanted to have vintage furniture and a cafe. And it was the joint desire to do that. But actually the gin side of things and how it came about as a herbalist, you you know, producing products for herbalists, you can either make tinctures, infusions, decoctions. And so we grow so many varieties. I spent all my time playing with plants, experimenting. And to be honest with you, two years prior, I'd actually found, because we grow an apothecary rose. It's the it's the oldest rose known to mankind. And we're the largest growers in the UK. And I was growing it and experimenting with it and suddenly found out that actually I had a little three litre still, but you could make a gin that turns pink with the rose petals and how to get that rose flavour. And we used to just drink it at home for fun. And then what happened was we were doing weddings at the garden. So I think I said to you, we're a cafe shop, all of that. But actually weddings were instrumental to us. You can come and get married surrounded by the roses or in the glass house. And we were having weddings every weekend in the summer. And about three years ago, Midlothian planners came to us and said, sorry, guys, you can't have weddings. It's not ancillary to a horticultural business. Well, as you can imagine, we spent everything to open the secret herb garden. You know, put our whole very beings into living in the caravan. We managed to build a house on site. This was our home. I think we had five kids then and five dogs. And, and the idea of not having weddings, we wouldn't have survived. And I'd been making this rose gin that turned pink at home. And my wife said, you know that thing you can do with the gin and the rose petals and the roses? I think you have to make a business. But we had no money. Um, so I managed to get some investors. And we converted the barn into an Atex rated still room. And we went live producing gin in October. October 2017 so we've just done our second birthday but we didn't give in on weddings we we persevered and we won so we're now allowed weddings uh, we do full moon dinners and we now make gin and I have to say if we hadn't done the gin I don't think we would have survived and luckily for us with the gin what we really have it's all about providence it's about seeing the botanics using them drying them so there was no going back to your original question I know this sounds insane how to get to it but to answer you there's been no plan there's never a plan 
I just completely trust that what I'm doing is the right path. And for me, I do children's magic, fairy herbal walks, or I do garden talks. And gardeners expect me to be there to say, well, actually, how do we grow our rosemaries? Well, I don't care. I actually want you to tell me what plants you think are our, well, your enemies or you see as plants that are against you. And a good garden lot can give me 13 what they might call weeds. And my whole talk is I'll take every single plant and turn it around. And that plant is a gift, not to be looked at as something that needs to be poisoned or got rid of that actually needs to be brought into your life. And so now that I put gin on it, help, I'm telling everybody how amazing nature is. And I think for us with our gin, we can deliver the flavors. We can do color changing and the flowers. And basically we can make a gin or we do a gin club. Flavor wise, my problem is to stop being creative. It drives my distiller absolutely insane. But there is never a plan. And, and again, I used to be fixated when I had variety and yeah, we wanted to produce growth, whatever. I thought I'd get more reward from being able to talk about the plants, being able to build a team that actually are involved in that whole journey as well, that were based in the garden. If I were an accountant, I would be very sad with myself. So no, there is no plan. I, I can't give you sort of uh, plans for next year, but it's just been a great gift. I, I would say the roses really saved the day. If we're going to be honest about it, it was the roses, the pothica roses that said, hey, you know, stick at it. Here's an option. I was going to ask you the colour change in gin, which is really nice and such a good gift as well. It is the roses that change colours because it's a reaction with the tonic yeah. water, isn't it? To be fair, we have literally about 20 different flower petals that can change colour. I can do every colour change. Apart from green, green naturally wants to turn brown. It's just like the leaves of a tree. I can get initially a green colour, but we can do yellow. I can do red, purples, golden, blues that turn pink. And this whole turning pink thing is at school, they'll do a pH indicator test. Red cabbage waters purple, squeeze lemon juice, turns pink. That's something called anthocyanins that's in the cabbage. And these anthocyanins are also present in all the petals that we use. So the petals that we use are edible flowers, but they have this anthocyanin. And this anthocyanin is the citric acid in the tonic that makes it turn pink. So there is no, I don't wear a, a lab coat, the stiller wears a lab coat, but there has been no process of sitting down in science or going to a flavor house or working with a chemist lab to you know, see how we're going to fix these flavors. It's not, it doesn't work that way. For me, it works. Wow, I didn't realize that plant could do that. The fact that they change pink with a gin is just a little bit of fun. A little bit of a smile that makes think, wow, that's that's done naturally with the plants. The fact that they also taste of the flowers because we distill, I mean, which is the whole thing. We make a gin and distill a gin, but we also distill separate plant materials. So we distill fresh roses. You add that to the gin so that you're really getting a precise flavor profile. And then we get the color from infusing it on the petals. So all of this obviously sounds very different from what you did before. But what would you say are the main differences from your job before and what you're doing now? Obviously, you're not producing wine now or you're not working with wine now. But what are the main differences? I suppose the main, main differences I'm working with the plants. That's, and that's all I really want to do. And I suppose as a gin distiller, we'll be the only gin distillery that actually has 11 people working in the garden, two full-time gardeners, uh, two full-time dryers. We have a full-time beekeeper as well. You know, this whole development of the garden is such an integral part of the message of what we're trying to say. And, and again, so I was on Gardener's World about six weeks ago. It was about saying this message about let's not spray poison, let's not kill what actually is there. Most of the stuff that's growing in our feet, as I said to you, is a gift. But And I know obviously this is a food and drink podcast, but food is so important. And the wild foods that we have. So, you know, I used to forage and supply restaurants. So there's a complete difference. Before I was looking at products to sell and make a livelihood. Now I'm looking at products that can sustain and I can say how important they are as a 
message. And I wasn't doing it because I wasn't clever enough. I only found out when I was about sort of 40, I had learning difficulties. I wasn't clever enough to read the market and think sustainable and providence were important things of the future. I, I wouldn't even know how to spell that. I was doing this with Liberty, my wife, to set the secret herb garden up because we truly believed in it. We believe in what we're doing and we believe as, as an example on how to grow and how to work with nature. And these gins that we make now are part of that same message. So I suppose, actually, in conclusion, what I was doing before and what I'm doing now are completely different. Though there is one thin thread, and that one thin thread is alcohol. And I suppose it's helped me that I've known the trade that long that I was able to make the gin and was able to look at or have relationships to be able to get the gin and gin into the market. You can buy your gin from the distillery, but you've started, well, you started a collaboration with Marks and Spencers, was it last summer? And you've done a festive gin for them, which for the first time is in a can, which is always good for a train. Definitely. <laughs> so could you just tell us a bit about that, that collaboration, how it started and how it's kind of helped you get that message out there? Again, I'd like to be able to tell you that it was planned and I strategically targeted m and I didn't. I, I told you about the weddings, that we were struggling to keep the weddings going at the same time time I was creating the drinks, the gins, the, the core range that we launched with. And actually, at one of the weddings was the buyer from M&S. And she was going back to work because she was a woman returner. And her husband was saying, oh, you don't know any sort of good local Scottish gins. And I said, hang on a minute, I can do better than that. And you know, we're about to produce our own floral colour changing gins. And I suppose from, from our point of view, M&S showed, in my opinion, a great initiative to be able to say, well, actually, hang on, who is this person? They've got a wedding, but they're producing, uh, about to produce a gin. So they said, well, yeah, we're interested. Of course, they, once they came to visit and they can see the garden, they see the ethos and how we do it, they got it. But there was no plan. It's like sometimes you just know, without sounding cheesy or corny, sometimes you just have to trust you're on the right path. And that was a gift. Here we are trying to fight to survive, to have the weddings and to fight to survive, to have the gardens show people. And here is one of the buyers at a wedding. You know, so the relationship was one that was by complete chance, but one that, for our point, they embraced the ethos of what we're all about. And this Christmas journey, it was a beautiful way to, of that to come into fruition. I think we started, and then 2018, as you say, we started supplying M&S with our rose gin and the lavender gin that we do. And since then, I also make a non-alcoholic G&T for them. So we've been creating with Jenny, who's the drinks. This non-alcoholic G&T is basically what we do and what herbalists have been doing for millennia. I know Seedlip would like to make you believe that it's a modern science about doing this non-alcoholic. It's not. We've been doing it for thousands of years as herbalists. You either make a tincture with alcohol or you make a water distillate. You're getting different chemical compounds from the plants. When you do a water distillate, you're getting all the aromatics. We made the non-alcoholic GNT, which has been phenomenally successful for them. And I can guarantee you put ice and lemon in that, you wouldn't tell the difference. We were using juniper, coriander. Again, I'm distilling the botanicals separately. And then they, I send that off to their soft drinks. And then for the Christmas gym, they sent in, I suppose it was an open tender, really, you know, about making a Christmas gin. Well, Christmas, really, break it down and think about the flavours of Christmas. Cinnamon, ginger, cardamom. You're pretty much there. If you start looking at Frankenstein and myrrh as flavour profiles, you wouldn't want them in a, in a gin. They're not that tasty at all. So once I started playing with that, and because we're making single distillates of, of the ginger, the cinnamon and the cardamom, you can be very precise in how you blend those flavours together. So when you then come to working with those three flavours, you then make the gin, you add those three flavours to the gin, guess what? 
they all come forward. They're so, it's like making a, a mint tea. You make a, a, buy a tea bag, make a mint tea from that. It's, you know, it grows brown quite quickly. Yeah, it tastes of mint, but you've got tannins and lagnans. You make a mint tea from fresh mint in a mug. It's pale yellow. It's delicious. It's completely different. And I suppose it's the same ethos. We're making these distillates with the single plants. So we are so precise with the flavors. So we make sure we can deliver it. And, you know, luckily enough, again, you know, Jenny and and M&S thought, actually, you know, this is delicious. I'm coming at all of this, not as a distiller. I mean, I've got a full-time distiller. You know, his passion is our stills. He looks at our stills like I look at my plants. What I always say with our gins, we work with, most gins work with the bones. So yeah, we work with the bones of a plant. So we've got juniper, angelica, coriander, etc. But we also work with the soul of a plant. When you make a distillate of a single plant material and you make a water distillate, you get to the pure essence of those flavor profiles. I mean, our lemon verbena that we use is absolutely out of this world and so well you know these i don't know there's about 50 single plant distillates that we do it is so concentrated of flavors and the profile i always say that's the soul of a plant and then we use the flesh because we actually infuse this gin with the petals which gives us the color changing ability as well but going back to your original question about m&s and and the christmas gin and, and that relationship it's just evolved it's evolved in that when they ask something i can submit samples or submit ideas i'm coming at it as somebody who's passionate about plants because i truly believe in what our core base botanics are which i think is what makes the difference because you know like you say there's a well there's the core botanics and then there's also out there a lot of scottish gins but i think there's probably not many people who are as passionate and know as much about plants as you in the industry from what I can tell. I mean I worked as a consultant for other distillers and I'll still help others on if if they want advice or I mean we've got some of the distillers will come to the garden happy to sell plants and and, and ideas but I think when you come to the garden now the whole thing is well actually do you know what there's 2,000 junipers admittedly we don't use those junipers yet we will do and some of them but then you've got your coriander your angelica you've got all the base botanics growing and my real passion is what people call weeds. You know, so I'm growing plants that have flavor profiles like nothing else. For example, that M&S non-alcoholic gene tea, it's got yarrow and lemon balm and, and things that you wouldn't normally associate with using in, to deliver a flavor profile of gin. But once you, you work with plants and allow them to communicate, but not enough spoken word, really you've got no choice. <laughs> they make it pretty obvious. Nice. Oh, sounds good. So one of the sections that we do, Hamish, is Desert Island drinks. It's been drams, it may be gins in the future, but basically we just want to ask you if you could take three drinks onto Desert Island and drink them while you're there, what would they be and why? I love that. I mean, obviously it should be gin, gin, gin. Well, I'm going to choose one gin, one cocktail and one whiskey. Okay. Okay. So I'll start with whiskey. I absolutely adore whiskey. Not your single malts and getting all uh, flustered about certain characteristics or any of this. I love a good blended scotch whiskey and I used to make one when my father died I don't know passed away 16 years ago but we made whiskey together and we made a blended whiskey in my opinion that has never really been beaten I love Johnny Walker Black you know my old man put that together years ago he put the definition of scotch whiskey over in parliament you know he loves scotch Scotland and scotch whiskey and I suppose that's been a big rub off for me so I'm a blended drinker and I suppose my original one would be the Inverarity blend and what I love about a good blended whiskey is you don't think you know for me it's ice a touch of water and and you put the ice in there you can keep topping up with the whiskey because you've always looking to get that for me it's so it doesn't drown out with water and i can just relax 
you know, sit back. You know, we've got five kids come half past five. Whether it's a gin or a whiskey, I can, I've got a chance before bath time for the kids to have two large drinks. And that variety has to be my number one. So if you could make me, you know, enough to survive on a desert island, I might be t- tempted to take that offer now. A gin, um, obviously Christmas gin. But on a separate note, I think probably the gin I'm also very, very proud of is we've just done one with the RSPB. It's called Wild. We launched about two months ago. The story of that means so much to me in that it is everything that I truly believe in. It's about giving nature a home. There's something called Forsenard, the flow country up in Caithness. It's our largest peat bog we have, not just Britain, but in Europe. It's the biggest carbon sink we have in the UK. And it's about getting that habitat back, A, for wildlife, but B, more importantly as well, is also about having it as a carbon sink. Pete is a great storer. And so we, in collaboration with RSPB, who come to the garden most weekends with their tent for membership, we've always had a very close relationship, was to say, actually, guys, can I come up to the flow country and choose some wild botanics and make a truly wild gin? Not because we're saying they're wild and anywhere else grown in, in the world. No, these are wild indigenous scottish plants so i went up there um obviously <laughs> your main botanicals there is called bog myrtle we harvest that we have our own drying room obviously we have a big room there so we can process all our own botanics but we bring the bog myrtle down also sustainably harvest some miniature dawny birch leaf we only put a little bit in that so but there's more to the story so that's in there and then all the other botanics are grown at the garden and wild. So you have yarrow, you have wood avens, sweet sicily, meadow sweet. You have these plants, nettle. We have these plants growing in raised beds. Actually, what I want to show is how beautiful these wild plants are in their own right. Put them in raised beds, make them special. So this wild gin has, has juniper in it, but nine other botanics that most people would probably perceive as weeds but they're not. They're beautiful, indigenous, Scottish, wild, immensely flavoursome botanics. And so we've now produced this gin, which I adore. So I'd have it served with ice and tonic. It's fine with a slice of lemon, but actually better than that, go out and get a piece of uh, nettle or sticky willy or cleavers or something that, you know, is a little bit wild and put that in for gin and tonic. So that would be my, my gin. And 20% of all monies go directly to the flow country, not just RSPB randomly, it's specifically to raise money and awareness for the flow country. That RSPB wild gin means, I suppose, everything that the whole story about what the secret herb garden, the secret garden, the food, your source and how we need to have a respect and a balance and a relationship with nature. And then lastly, I mean, my cocktail, uh, it's a Negroni. It's a classic Negroni. My wife makes the most phenomenal Negroni and I get her to make it for me in a decanter. So um, from Christmas, basically the month of December, I just drink Negroni. I adore it with, you know, fresh orange in there, ice. It's in a decanter. It's too easy. The gin I use is the Christmas gin. It adds that extra spice to the Negroni. It works so well. So yes, can't go wrong. So I think, you know, if I could go foraging and I've got fresh water, I've got shelter on, on this island. And I've got those three products. Happy days. Yeah, you won't want to leave. No, exactly. Just in case you wanted to mention this. Yeah, I know you don't, you've said you don't really make plans and things have started happening. But for next year, I know you've got your full moon dinners, but you've talked about the cafe and things. Are you developing the, the food side of... Completely, yeah. I mean, it's not a plan, but um, come 1st of February, there will be a new 
chef, somebody that's coming over to take over the whole catering of the site. And But they are arguably one of Britain's top 50 chefs, passionate about the wild, foraged, no chemicals, will make a much stronger link. I mean, this is a food and drink. And so for me, it's about the food as well that you grow and how you grow it. And yes, the herbs. So we are just about to change the whole level of the offering what we've offered before is something that you know we're not caterers but we offer something really authentic and that authenticity will stay but will be taken to another level so we make our own salads we grow 40 different edible flowers you know the salads are foraged the only green that i grow is uh, wild rocket everything else is from dandelion chickweed fat hen ground elder plants that you know give us the color and give us the the greenery and the minerals and the flowers give us the color. So yeah, as far as that's concerned, next year I'm super excited about it. The food offering that we've got. Nice. Oh, sounds good. So we're just going to move on to our other section of the podcast called My Life and Food. It's five quickfire questions just about your relationship with food and drink. So if you're ready. Yeah, I have no idea what these questions are, so I'm definitely ready. So what food brings about childhood nostalgia for you? Oh, I love all what I would call nursery food. So having five kids myself, I'm quite happy if they don't finish their fish fingers and baked beans and whatever. So nostalgia food for me is very much more that sort of nursery food. My mum, who's still alive, uh, if I choose one food, used to make a hard pink pud. Don't know how she made it. Basically a pink ice cream, but it was made with raspberries. I, I love that. So if I have to go for one, it's a hard pink pud that my mother made for me uh, when I was little. I absolutely adored it. Okay, if you had an hour to cook a meal for yourself now, what would you make? And I, I don't need to catch the ingredients. I can just ask and somebody can deliver. Uh, uh, oh, uh, lobster or oysters. Oh, um, right, I would have a start. Right, what the hell? Oysters with a lovely old chablis. I'd have a lobster in there, maybe half a lobster if I could. Again, just keep on drinking an old white watch. I'd probably go something like a Montrachet for that. Can't get past ribeye steaks cooked on an open an open wood barbie. So with a lovely fresh, when I say salad, but foraged salads, leaves, parmesan, nicely cut, rare with that. I used to always drink Bordeaux, but actually I suppose it's just an age thing. I'm much more enjoying now red burgundies, lighter style Pinot Noir with that. Oh, I love my cheese. Uh, I don't know if I was meant to just have one ingredient for this or whether it's just the whole meal. But if I've got an hour and none of this is that difficult, the oysters you just chuck, the lobster can be chucked in the pan, the steak's on a, on a, on a barbie and the cheese is good to go. I probably wouldn't bother about pudding, but I'd just carry on drinking the red wine. What's your food guilty pleasure? What, chocolate. I can't go without chocolate. And, and also probably, you know. If I go past a sweet shop that has, you know, a selection of this sort of, I used to call them penny chew things, but I don't know, they're, they're never a penny, they're like 5, 10p, 25p. I love those things just as a little bag, but chocolate's my big thing. I actually love white chocolate, good quality white chocolate, I love. You're in a bar at 1am, what drink do you order? Well, apart from a taxi, <laughs> I can't do 1am anymore. Oof. Whiskey, a blended whiskey to finish the evening off, definitely. This might also tie into question three, but if you knew it was going to be your last ever meal, what would you have? Oh, yeah, just crack on with uh, number three there. Give me my oysters, lobsters. Uh, but if it was my last meal, I'd probably try and make it, you know, span out as long as possible before they, before they had to do the execution to me. That's great. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 
You can download Scran wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android. The Android app will be launched on the 20th of January 2020. If you like what you heard, please rate and review Scran and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production for the Scotsman. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following us on social media, where we are at Laudable Pod on Twitter and Instagram by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts.